Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 141 and we're recording this on Tuesday, the 2nd of June 2015. I'm Steve Litchfield and with me I have Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello everybody. I can't really believe where the year's gone so far. We're already into June, but I guess the good news about that is we're that little bit closer to the new Windows Phone, or I guess I should call it Windows 10 mobile flagship devices. Haven't really got much to talk about that yet. They're still rumoured, but we know they, they're going to happen. Um, no indications on date as of yet, although we may touch on some guesses later on the show, but got plenty to get through the usual news update and a couple of discussion topics to fill up your ears this week. Yes, um, I am kind of expecting a new Windows 10 Mobile Insiders preview build. That sounds a very long way of saying it, right? But basically, there's a new build of Windows 10 for phones coming out ASAP. Um, I'm expecting it to happen round about this time this podcast gets published. And I wanted to just let listeners know that uh, up to now, we've been trying it, you and I, and kind of half-heartedly reporting on what it was there and saying it's very early. But one thing, I did make a breakthrough, Ray, for various reasons I won't go into. I had to hard reset my 930 with Windows 10 on board. Um, and do you know what? From a completely virgin factory reset, you know, version of Windows 10 Insiders Preview, it's actually pretty fast and pretty usable. Now, part of this is the Snapdragon 800 and the Lumia 930 is a fairly fast processor. Part of it has got two gig of RAM to luxuriate in, but part of it is the fact that you're starting with a clean slate. And I do wonder whether some of the abominable performance we've seen on Windows 10 on many of our other test devices has been because we've basically upgraded the device with you know, data, app settings, configuration files, etc., all in place. Uh, I guess it's a possibility and it probably won't have been a focus of testing so far, though I would point out, of course, it's going to be very important once the uh, update does get released for the existing <laughs> devices, because most people aren't going to do the Steve Litchfield yeah. method of resetting your phone every five minutes just to keep it in tip-top condition. Uh, I mean, I've run it on a 930 as well. And yes, the performance was better. I have to admit, I ascribe most of that to the processor and the RAM, obviously a more modern hardware family. Uh, and again, you know, it needs to run smoothly on the old devices. I guess also with the latest builds, we're getting a bit more progress. But I think it's fair to say that it's very much been alpha to this point. You know, previous early releases of Windows Phone have really been very much beta testing in just a couple of months ahead of uh, kind of the main release. This time, you know, obviously started back in, in January, uh, will have gone through six months and I think is as many as nine or even 10 months of kind of these releases. And I do expect them to start tightening up in the next few months and particularly some of the consistency around the UX and the performance things that we've talked about. And so, it, it, I mean, I think Steve, it's getting close to the point where, uh, for at least the edge case users, you could try using it as your main device. I wouldn't do it if it still would do it if it's your only device, but it's certainly get, I mean, up until this point, it's been fun to play with, but I haven't really been able to live with it as a daily device, even as kind of knowing I've got a backup with me. It's just, it just hasn't been there. It's the inconsistency would drive me nuts, but uh, maybe on the next release, we'll actually get to the point where it's a late enough alpha that it's good enough for day to day use for those who don't mind living on the edge. Yeah, and of course, uh, Microsoft's may be making a huge thing about Windows 10 for PCs and tablets coming out as July the 29th, we reported, um, which is not too far away, Ray. That's only, we're just under two months away. And 
they've made a big thing in the marketing of the fact that this one platform, one store, you know, one interface, and they've all the videos have got phones in step with the, the PCs. And you know, if if the phone side of things lags too much, then that's all going to ring rather hollow. So I'm I'm expecting the um, the phone team, the Windows 10 mobile team, to really step things up and things to accelerate. I st- it will ne- certainly won't meet July 29th, but I'm expecting sometime, perhaps early in September, we'll start seeing the first devices with Windows 10 either announced or available, and then through September at the latest certainly to have um, for sim free devices to have a, a Windows 10 official update and released to the mass market does that sound about right I think that's fair I mean if you look at past history with Microsoft and go back to Nokia as well they have quite often released devices you know essentially it's for the Christmas market but it's for or, or for the autumn market and often announcing them in the summer and then having them come out late August, September, October timeframe, I think, you know, it may be pushed back compared to again, the previous generation. We had something like the 925, for example. Um, so I think it may be more towards September and possibly even October because, you know, as you rightly point out, this is a big release and so they want to get it right. And I think part of the important thing with that is to realise the first devices will come out and then the updates for existing devices will be quite a bit behind. And if past history is anything to go by, it can be as much as sort of two months before the first updates start going out and then, you know, four to six months before anything like a sort of large proportion of them uh, actually receive it. And so, you know, for some people, Windows 10 could be arriving quite late on their mobile devices. And uh, I do think it's important to bear in mind that this is both a new big release of the platform and in some ways a bigger deal on phones than it is on on desktop and certainly this is a bigger step forward than 8 to 8.1 for example or even arguably in some ways in 7.5 to 8 as far as consumers are concerned at least and maybe not from a developer point of view and then also it's a brand new hardware family we assume on the high-end devices the 940 um, if it's going to be called that microsoft has said it's going to be new processor kind of new memory new hardware family so that just adds an added layer of complexity it's just worth saying that it's not you know the same as a desktop release where you can it's whole set up around having a big bang day that won't happen we will will have a uh, gaps and it will kind of trickle out microsoft are going to try and improve that but it will still be like that but yeah i guess your your initial guess there is 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 a pretty good one um as always it's kind of patience is required yeah yeah <laughs> i've been doing more guessing in other stories Rafe. just to mention briefly i mean i i predict the specs for the upcoming lumia 940 or rumored 940 about a month or two ago and i referred to them back in a couple of stories this week and um, there have been a quite a few rumours actually leaks around the net about a 940 XL and this kind of uh, ties in right we've had seen the 640 and the 640 XL uh, we've also in other parts of the smartphone world we've seen Apple with the iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 plus there does seem to be this trend of manufacturers really aren't sure how to cover both markets in the traditional phone sizes and the quote tablet sizes so and uh, we've also seen leaked photos of an 840 and an 840 XL so I, I'm predicting at this point we do have a 940 and a 940XL, possibly with about a 5.7-inch screen. And Ditto, we also see an 840 and 840XL. So basically, you can run up the uh, the model numbering in terms of specifications, and each is available in two sizes. There might even be a 740 and a 740XL, but at this point, I'm getting very excited, and I'll finish with saying there could even be a 1040. <laughs> I don't expect that until That really is A, wishful thinking, and B, something for 2016, I think. I, I do think it's wishful thinking. I don't actually see we're ever going to see something over the nine numbers again in the current naming scheme, the, the 1020 and the 1520 were outliers. And in fact, what the 
940 and the 940 XLR, if they do appear, are really equivalent to kind of the 930 and the 1520. Um, and as with the 640, I don't actually expect there necessarily to be a completely straight relation. It's not like it's a, a phablet and then a compact version. No, it, it remains to be seen. And yeah, the leaks around the 840 are interesting as well. I mean, we're seeing the same thing actually from uh, Nexus rumors around those next devices. There's going to be kind of two different sizes. And um, in one sense, uh, Nokia did this early on by having the, the 1520 and then having something like the 1320 and some of the other devices as well. I mean, I think prompted to be fair by Samsung, who were really you know, the ones who pushed early in that space for the bigger phones. But obviously Apple has kind of solidified this and made it concrete by having the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. But it does seem to be that, you know, there's an acknowledgement that the screens have got so big that actually some people do prefer something a bit smaller because they want to be able to use it one-handed or maybe it's you know just the size of your hands it becomes a, a factor whereas before you know you could go up to 5.5 inches and it was still usable for most people and there does seem to be this you know d- divide between two and you know the the preferences are breaking down you know depending on the market you're in it there's quite a bit of variation so yeah these rumors always float about about these devices um, i think you know what we'll see is kind of the big bang announcement for windows 10 mobile will be around these high-end devices but as you say you know there's always the portfolio kind of being replaced on an ongoing basis if you think the 730 and the 830 kind of date to EFA from last year september you you typically expect to see a replacement of those maybe uh, before the end of the year and it's entirely possible that we see them in september time i mean actually there's been a pretty rapid replacement rate for uh, the Lumia devices in, in recent years, with the exception really of, of the high end. And there's actually been kind of um, side angles and sidings for that. And actually one of the reasons for that is, of course, the kind of the flagship Lumia device essentially got cancelled last year. It was going to you know, be a, a cross between the 925 and the 1020 in some ways, or at least it, there was talk around that kind of device. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry to say to you, Steve, I think you got carried away by some of the rumours. So I think your wish for a 1040 is not going to be fulfilled. Oh well, oh well. <laughs> Keep dreaming. Let's move on. <laughs> now let's move on with something else. We, we haven't even got to story one in our breakdown yet. This is story 0.2, pre-show ch- chat. But I did put up a feature um, on, on the Microsoft band, rather belatedly, because we, we did ask Microsoft some comments on my comments about a month ago before my full review of the Microsoft band accessory. Uh, and they didn't quite manage to get back to us. But then they did about a week ago. And I put up a slightly edited and a version of their, their responses with also my responses to their responses. And if that sounds confusing, then do see the formatting in the interview. It's with Leela and Martin, head of new devices for Microsoft UK. Very kind of her to take the time to respond anyway. And uh, I kind of criticised the band in some ways, but also emphasising the positives. I was very much saying this is a phase one. This is a, a, a almost like an, a prototype, I was calling it, which is unfair, but they, people know what I mean. It's a ver- literally a version one. It's for enthusiasts. It's to get the principle out there. It's to get the software developed. And there will surely, surely be a band two. We're even seeing some leaks of that Microsoft band two name around the web. Um, Leela in the interview did actually say this is a multi-phased release, implying that there was going to be a new phase and that's surely going to be a band two. And I think guesses from me like it's going to be more robust, slimmer, more waterproof, possibly faster. Um, surely light all of these things will surely happen in, in a version two and i'm expecting again that to be released sometime around the autumn time frame again to kind of tie in with the uh, windows 10 and microsoft's ambitions across the entire mobile industry yeah i think it's a reasonable assumption and that multi-phrasing was uh, an interesting way of putting it that also kind of applied to the way it went into retail 
Um, it started off just being available in relatively limited quantities in Microsoft stores, and it's since become more widely available. But it's certainly not something you see alongside kind of the watch in some of the main high street stores in the US or the UK for that matter. And again, I think it's quite sensible. I mean, you know, for all the attention around Apple Watch and also the Android Wear and Pebble, smartwatches very much remain uh, a minority pursuit. You know, the sales numbers, even with including the watcher, sort of in the tens of millions, probably going to be no more than around 20, 25 million this year. Now, that sounds like a lot, but when you compare that to, you know, 1.25 billion smartphones, you're starting to appreciate that actually, you know, it's a, it's a tiny fraction. And so taking a slightly softly, softly experimental approach is, you know, sensible, especially given, you know, Microsoft's position. Um, I also thought it was interesting to see an emphasis on the Microsoft Health application, which you don't always realize is being developed in the background. You know, quite often these software and services associated, and I should say that Microsoft Health is much wider than just Band, has actually, you know, added extra features. And so I'm uh, just going from the, from the answer, it was interesting to see those comparative insights. We basically, you can, break down the day to sort of see it a little bit more um, things about sleep recovery. So, you know, doing sleep re- tracking and it, it's offering analysis on top of the data that's being collected. And I've said it often about the wearables. It's not actually collecting the data or indeed the wearable itself. That's particularly interesting. It's the insight that you can get from that data that can make, then maybe make a smart recommendation that can lead to behavior change. And you know, the very basic implementation of that is, you know, the 10,000 step challenge on, uh, Fitbit or on the band or indeed any other fitness track and kind of gamifying that to try and make people compete against each other and get more exercise. But if you can start to have that kind of analysis around food intake or around uh, sleep restoration or indeed, you know, uh, other kind of in-depth observation, it, it gets very interesting. Um, so it's well worth checking out. And actually, I think your recommendation was to have a look at the the companion web dashboard, which actually offers more than the the mobile app. You know, I hope we'll see some of that come back down. But yeah, it was a really interesting to get the kind of inside story on this, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. And I it it, it did emphasize to me just where Microsoft Band sits in the grand scheme of things. I mean, she was talking about in in her replies about the number of sensors on board the band, and she was absolutely right. I was asking her about the temperature sensor, the reference in the specifications. I said, well, what's that? Is that ambient temperature? Is that skin temperature? And she confirmed it was skin temperature. So the band is re- measuring the temperature of your skin in real time all the time. It's also measuring galvanic skin response um, and also your heart rate constantly. And these are kind of things would get missed out by the other other smartwatches. And it's very much very evident. There's been stories around the net this week, Rafe. The Apple Watch just taking your heart rate every 10 minutes, just sampling it basically, unless you're actually in the middle of some uh, chronic exercise. So really, the Microsoft Band is is monitoring you and your health and your activity 24 hours a day, including sleeping. And the sleep tracking is particularly important, and with quite far more sensors actually than the other smartwatches. Now, the other smartwatches are very much more data centric and application centric. They they do have different ambitions, but I certainly I go back to what I said last week on the podcast. That I think the Microsoft Band sits at potentially just the right um, compromise between being a fitness band and a smartwatch, and having so many sensors that it really does open up. Um, what you might be able to do in the future with Microsoft Health, you know, the, this, this ambition of Microsoft from the band to the smartphone, whether it's whichever platform it is, through to Microsoft Health and the whole ecosystem, and even tying into uh, national health industries and you know your, your doctors' practices and so on. Um, 
these things do, I can see their vision. I think it's very early days. I think the hardware is very early, but there's, there is so much possibility here. And yes, as a game, as with all these stories, I'm very excited. Yeah, I mean, I think the point you make there about the kind of surrounding ecosystem, connecting it into Microsoft's health, and you know that has a long history in itself, health fault and the kind of collection of medical records. And in theory, the ability to be able to pass things into your doctor's surgeries now, you know, actually it's what Apple is looking to do with HealthKit and Google's doing the same thing. But there's a much wider story, and of course, it starts getting into the cloud side of things and all of that part of Microsoft's offering. And so sometimes it's a bit of an iceberg when you look at things like this. Um, Just you mentioned the sensors and collecting data. The band also doesn't constantly sampling. I I can't remember what heart rate is. I think it's every 30 seconds, but it does depend on on what you're doing. And obviously there's a a power budget for all of these things. It's why... uh, Apple, I mean, perhaps unfairly being criticised, it's actually about not spending uh, too much power all the time to track the data. And, you know, I think 10 minutes um, when you're uh, in, in not doing exercises, it feels quite low. It obviously does go up when you're, you're actively uh, asking it to track something. But having all those sensors in it uh, does make this more of a kind of experimental project, more that you can learn or do stuff with. Uh, I think the standout one early on was the GPS, the ability to basically do your whole run tracking without actually taking your phone with you. There are relatively few products that did that, and particularly in the wearables, in the fitness tracking space. It was unusual. I mean, it was something that HTC made a big deal deal about when they announced the grip which is their kind of wearable accessory in, in partner with partnership with under armor but obviously when you're going for a run not everyone wants to carry their phone with them either because they can't do it very easily they don't have a pouch or that you know they just don't want to take a expensive phone out in what might be rainy or sweaty conditions and similarly the uh, galvanic skin response is a interesting one to so effectively measuring skin uh, conductivity can give you uh, clues as to uh, health but also you know food intake and that kind of thing um, they're still experimenting with what actually having that kind of real-time always-on sensors gives you. Uh, You know, the skin temperature is an interesting one. Can you start deducing things by changing skin temperature? And it's obviously surface skin temperature. Um, And UV, which is one of the more useless sensors for most of us, particularly in the UK, and I've never got a particularly interesting reading of it. But I can imagine in in some cases, potentially that's the sort of thing that you could be wearing a, a Microsoft band when you're on holiday or if you're in a certain type of climate or indeed in the UK on, on sunny days and it just warns you that maybe you should think about covering up or putting on sunblock or something like that. That's a kind of an obvious use case. But I wonder how many of these sensors can be sort of more widely used. I think that's one of the exciting things about wearables and smartwatches. We're really only at the beginning and people haven't, you know, people kind of talk about it as a killer app. I don't think you can necessarily think about it in killer app terms. But certainly there's a lot of discovery of the possibilities still still left out there. And, you know, just as, you know, the accelerometer went into smartphones for various reasons early on and then has been used for a very wide variety of tasks and kind of the, I think the popular one early on was to make your phone sound like a lightsaber, which sounds quite trivial, but actually it was the thing that kind of caught people's imagination. And only later did screen rotation come in and then you thought about, oh, we can work out what, what orientation photos are taken in and now you know you'll be hard pressed to find a phone without the accelerometer it's a big deal and i wonder how much kind of the undiscovered country lies out ahead for wearables and smartwatches and actually sensors outside the phone that are contributing into the phone and what that means in terms of the contextual information it's able to collect and that's very much about sensors up until this point although interestingly cortana siri and i guess um 
Google Now on tap, something that was announced at Google I.O., all about contextual data in terms of the data that's on your phone and what you're doing on your phone. And I think those two coming together are, are, are making the phone stand out even more than they have done from computers in terms of knowing things that are going on around them and what you're doing and the possibilities that that then brings up for making smarter recommendations or helping you. Uh, it's not necessarily just about fit, fitness and a healthier lifestyle. It's just making your life easier. And uh, it, it gets away from you having decided to do something and starts pushing the phone towards becoming this thing that can do things for you or knows when you're about to do that and starts making smart decisions or presents you with, with the, the right bit of information. And, you know, the glance on the smartwatches and on the Microsoft band are kind of about that now, but you wonder how much further can that go forward? You know, if you've been paying attention to something on the band, it, it's entirely possible to see that when you pick up your phone off the desk, it will automatically show the right thing or there'll be something different on the lock screen. And so those possibilities, particularly how kind of these smartwatches, be that Microsoft band, a fitness tracker or full-on smartwatch, what impact that has on their companion device, the smartphone, is I think almost as interesting as what they do, you know, in a standalone sense, which is you know, kind of about identity and payment and fitness tracking and maybe uh, glanceability in terms of information. So really fascinating topic. I'm sure we're going to come back to it in a future podcast. Yeah, you mentioned lightsabers there. You won't be surprised to learn. I did a, a, a section of my top 10 banned applications, or in this case, uh, applications on Windows Phone that work with the Microsoft Band. You won't be surprised that one of them actually makes the lightsaber sound when you swish your Microsoft Band around. So basically, you can grab a pencil <laughs> or a ruler, and that can be your lightsaber. You can swish it exactly as you would a lightsaber, and the, the sensors on the band transmit the, the information and the movement back to the phone, whose loudspeaker then produces the lightsaber sound. But this is all sounding rather geeky. Oh, well, oh, it's, should... it's brilliant. You know, it, it's not geeky. There's a new Star Wars film coming out. It's going mainstream again. Indeed, indeed. Uh, you mentioned the, um, the real-time heart rate monitoring. You're, you're absolutely right, Rafe. I've been, Rafe, I've been doing some testing while you've been chatting. Um, it does seem to go that the heart rate monitoring is real-time as long as the band screen's on for you doing anything, but it drops back into a power-saving mode um, after the screen's been off for a while. I'm guessing that's where the every 30 seconds or so comes in. So it's always got an estimate of your heart rate. And if you actually bring up the band screen, it shows the outline of the heart. But after a few seconds, the monitor the, um, kicks into real-time monitoring again, and then the outline fills in and then that gives you a more accurate rate so you're absolutely right it's real time but kind of uh, only while the screen's on yeah I, i've actually seen a couple of people have put up on twitter and various other places comparisons to a heart rate monitor which is kind of always on and then microsoft band and indeed other products and what's interestingly of course is most of the time you will get very good accuracy you know within one or two percent and for for most purposes that's actually going to be good enough if you're looking for more than that you're probably going to have a heart rate monitor already or something standalone um, and so you know people will talk about sampling frequency actually they're fine i actually think the apple watch even to every 10 minutes is probably okay as well obviously when the exercise tracking kicks in you do want it to be doing more regularly actually most of the products do that so that's kind of one of those storming a teacup stories where you sort of go these things have to be like mm -hmm. that for energy reasons and people complain much more vociferously if the battery ran out because it was taking a, a heart rate monitor every five seconds and of course i guess there's a data uh, thing for that as well people are talking about the band and indeed these other products quite a lot on social media so it is interesting to see there is this real buzz around and it does feel a bit like the early days of smartphones where a lot of the developers and the people posting things on, up onto their blogs were you know kind of the early adopters it's got that kind of atmosphere that just feels quite fun to participate in uh, so it's well worth doing a, a look around if you're kind of at all interested in this area 
Now, you did mention a competitive gaming uh, way of approaching Microsoft Health Rave. And I wonder whether a Rave Steve um, banned competition publicly available to see who's walking the furthest and who's getting the fittest might be in order do you think too much? um well I, I i guess i could do that i i'll just prepare to lose spectacularly because uh, i know steve goes for regular walks to do all his photo comparisons so that would blow me out of the water to begin with but uh, yes maybe we'll have a weekly uh, podcast feature where I, I go and stand in the corner in shame as steve tells me that he's walked one hundred and thirty thousand steps this week I think you're doing yourself down there, Rafe, but all those walks in the countryside <laughs> and digging up archaeological finds and so on. Uh, well, I don't get to do that anyway. all the time. I was I was looking at my uh, footstep rates for this week, actually, from the, the, the phone, which I'm using to track it, and it's only about 60,000 a week, which isn't too great. Yeah. Moving on, um, we must get to the business of the show, Rafe. We, we haven't even started the show notes for this particular podcast yet. This has all been preamble. Um, just a few stories, really. The Lumia 640 and 640XL, which are kind of the newest darlings of the phone, Windows Phone world. We've reviewed both of them, of course. Um, Windows Phone 8.1 up t- Update 2, of course, the first devices to come out with this on. They've now just had an update, which improves some of the uh, voice over LTE and Wi-Fi calling, etc. Curiously, Rafe, I saw the exact same uh, release. I'm um, just started rolling out the Lumia 830 and 735, which previously had been on Windows Phone 8.1 Update 1, which, basically, which is curious because we were both at the same briefing about uh, six to eight weeks ago where Microsoft said, well, the Update 2 will come to the Lumia 830 and possibly the 735 in America because the remote wiping facility, which comes along with that, is required by the FCC over there. So we had to roll it out, but it's unlikely to come to the rest of the world. I think we're now starting to see Microsoft have a bit more confidence in this Update 2 and deciding, yes, to roll it out. And who who knows, we might even see it on other devices. Well, that is a possibility, although I'd also point out that in the UK, we've started to see some operators doing tests with Volte and also the Wi-Fi calling on EE in the UK. So I wouldn't be surprised if kind of EE plus maybe generic UK devices are getting this update in order to kind of enable that kind of thing. Um, so it's probably worth saying that um, EE, one of the operators here in the UK, is kind of making a big deal of um, Wi-Fi calling support on some its device in Windows Phone is one of the ones that's kind of being featured. It was mainly around the 640. That it should be possible now on these other devices. And Volte is one of those things that's been talked about for quite a while, I should say. It's voice over LTE. Um, and again, it's being tested by a number of operators. So if they want to be able to test Windows Phone devices, obviously they're going to be have to, having to run this latest version. But it's a great excuse to talk about the uh, 640, 640XL, which I think are the all my all-round superstars as far as Windows phone devices go in recent memory. I think just the the combination of value and the features that you get in them are, are really good. It, it, you always kind of attempted to say this about the most recent devices, but I think these really do steal a bit of a crown and, and will sit there for a while just because I've always had a fondness for these slightly lower cost devices, not right at the bottom end. And it, it's looking at the 640 and particularly the 640XL, there's very few compromises in them that i would consider to be a, a re- re- real downside so actually i've had a couple of friends ask me about what phone they should buy and you know we went through the usual thing about do you want to buy an iphone no didn't want to spend that much money well how about an android device now i've got an android device so i want to try something a bit different and actually a couple of them ended up with uh, lumia 640s without much prompting from me it has to be said they just uh, sort of said if it was going to be a windows phone device which one would you you get and I've had sort of a couple of emails back saying, really happy with them. Um, it's just the combination of you know being good value and actually not feeling slow and feeling nice and easy to use. And consequently, a couple more people have picked them up as well. So it'll be interesting to see how widely um, 
the, the spreads and how the sales do in time. It's too early to say the most recent set of data that I've seen um, that, that we usually get from the advertising folks. It, it still has things like the 635 right up the top and the 5, 520, the 530. But I wonder if in six months' time, the 640 might not be uh, scaling those charts, certainly in UK and other similar markets. Yeah, I never quite take a, a full notice of these ad duplex stats, right? They rely on um, people actually uh, clicking through adverts in particular games, and that, that speaks for a very small, potentially, part of the market and certainly doesn't cover the entire Windows Phone price spectrum. I know many people in, in either at the bottom end or at the top end who just wouldn't actually use these applications or wouldn't use to use these adverts. And for that, that reason alone, I think the, the stats have to be put into some kind of context. And they certainly underrepresent the top end of the market, people with the, you know, the 1020s, the 930s, the 830s of this world, who would much rather pay to get rid of ads than not see ads anymore. Therefore, they'd never use those ads and, and so forth, and so they wouldn't get counted. So the, the, these stats do get skewed slightly. I, I take much more credence in things like the IDC and the Gartner and the Canalis, Canalis? Yeah, Canalis statistics, which actually look at sales either to the channel or actually end users' sales in the shops. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you're right. I've always said um, these ad duplex stats are really about or biased towards people who install apps, and actually it's typically games of the freemium variety. Um, I'd be hard-pressed to know whether any of the apps I use regularly um, will fall into that category. I think not as far as I know, and so Indeed. I wouldn't be counted despite being a, obviously a regular Windows Phone user. But the sample size has increased over time. There are a couple of thousand apps now using this again all you actually need to do is run the app you don't need to click on an ad or anything like that and i i would have thought the sampling size is probably good enough to get it within you know uh five or ten percent which gives us a pretty good guess and it does obviously reflect what we know about the sales it's the low-end devices that uh really show up i suspect what it may do is maybe count the sort of install base and it can be a little bit slow to reflect some of the changes but I would perhaps have a little more confidence in the numbers, um, but uh, you, you're right. There is definitely a sampling bias. Um, as I say, it'll be interesting to see when the 640 shows up in those sets, because certainly the 635 has been a very popular device if you look through them. And I think perhaps rather than take them as absolute numbers, you can certainly use it to see which devices are doing well in which markets and do a certain amount of comparison between devices within a market. Um, rather than taking them as absolute numbers. I mean, I did do a bit of crunching a while back, and I, I thought they were probably within 5% or so um, of the you know, figures that you can obtain from elsewhere through some of the, uh, the sales in the UK retail, retail channel, for example, and companies' own reporting. Of course, it's one of the few places you can actually get regular stats on uh, specific devices rather than Windows Phone as a whole, because Gartner and Canlis, certainly in their public numbers, typically talk about the platform rather than specific devices, uh, and I, I feel it's illustrated very well how Windows Phone has been very much driven by the low end devices in terms of uh, device volumes and sales rather than, rather than the high end. And, you know, it, it, it suggests that things like the 930 have probably sold just a few million devices and perhaps not even that. Whereas, of course, something like the 520 and presumably now the 640 are, are selling in sort of the order of you know, 10 million and, and perhaps more. Yeah, I don't dispute the fact that the, the budget is where the main sales are. I think I'm just a bit um, uh, put out, Rafe, that the ad duplex don't actually count me. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know, if it's not, as, as with you, I don't think a single application on any of my Windows phones actually has in-app 
in-app advertising, usually because if it does have it, I pay to 79p and I remove the ads. I never see the ads again. So I think I'm just put out the fact that I know that the, the, the <laughs> power users who read all about Windows Phone, that the real enthusiasts, the people who buy you know, significant numbers of applications and buy the high-end phones, as you say, we're all just completely, either we're noise or just not being counted. And it just seems like there should be some allowance of that. But I, 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 think, I think perhaps you're quite a small segment, Steve. Um, and the vast majority of people are quite happy having advertising supported games and certainly looking at the kind of the wider stats across the mobile industry that that's that's true although i would absolutely accept there is a significant population out there not these enterprise users who have their phone locked down who probably uh, you know, won't ever be seen by these advertising sets. and uh, you know we we shouldn't actually say it's just about ad duplex because a lot of the stats that you see around this are actually based on some kind of advertising sdk or something else that making guesses and i mean um some of them are also the the analytics apps uh, including apps so flurry is a good example of that um but even those are going to be subject to sampling bias and you know it does depend on user behavior as well and uh, the you know the other way to try and get it is to do user surveys or to do observational studies and of course it's very difficult to get a, a sample size that's going to be representative to, to take it out so sometimes it can be a little little bit of a mystery and i i think perhaps one of the things that often gets missed in this there's a lot more variation between markets and between segments than people might imagine and you know you can sort of do that anecdotally in one sense by just looking at what your friend uses their device for what kind of apps they have installed um, and within your own peer circle they're probably going to look quite similar but you start looking a bit wider and you'll notice that people use their phones for very different things in very different amounts of time and let's say both in markets across demographics and even within kind of uh, smaller segments as well. Yeah, well, I do my own surveys anyway. What I do is I organise a pub meet. People turn up at the pub meet and I ask them questions. And okay, the sample size is only four or five, but they're reliable. And I could look into people's eyes while I ask them the questions. But yes, and I think sampling <laughs> bias of people who go to Steve's pub meet. I'm I'm suspecting that. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's not get into. We don't want to upset Steve's and his scientific surveys. <laughs> Yes, yes, anyway. Um, right, uh, just Microsoft has announced, this is kind of interesting, I wrote a piece on it, um, taking a much-needed look at store bloat. I've been asking for this for ages. I've linked to a few of my previous editorials ranting about the appalling number of duplicates and rubbish and novelties and, oh, don't get me started on the stuff in the Windows Phone store, basically trying to get the numbers up so they get remotely near iOS and Android, which each in turn have their own bloat problems, of course. But Microsoft has said in their statement, and I quote, um, they're going to eliminate app clutter. Ensure apps are appropriately priced. They can distinguish informational apps as opposed to things that pretending to be other things they're not. And also ensure relevant app titles and keywords, all of which sounds absolutely great. I do wonder on the time scale on this, Rafe. I'm, I'm hoping this all happens again in lockstep with Windows 10 appearing so that by the, by the July the 29th, they'll have had a jolly good rummage through the store. And also, I, I suspect the, uh, the Windows 10 mobile side of things will, will take a big upturn because we might lose... 10, 20, 30,000 apps which shouldn't have been there in the first place, but we've still got hundreds of thousands to choose from. Absolutely. You know, this is a, a really good thing. I mean, you always look at a list of apps and as a human, you can look through them, look at the details and go, that's not right, not really of interest. And I would like to think there's enough data around there about app using what's being downloaded to a certain amount of that automatically. And then it will just require some human effort. And to be honest, a lot of it's just about following the app guidelines. I mean, one of the things in the Microsoft article about this was just saying have the right kind of um, icons and distinguish between kind of informational guide type apps and 
ones that are you know are real games or a real app and yeah. you know i you know taking the example from the from this article it was for example a user guide for a game yeah okay i can see why people might want an app for that but you should be able to tell from the icon that that's what it is and you don't want people mistaking it for a game and you know I know people have expressed frustration with this in the past when they've been looking for a specific type of game on Windows Phone or a particular title. They think they found it, but they end up downloading it. It turns out to be kind of, uh, I don't want to be too unkind about it, but a really uninteresting guide as to how to play the game, quite often just linking to a few pages of content in a web view or something like that. And I think it's really important to get that out of there because it will um, hurt the perception of it just being a junky store. And I also hope that there's a certain amount of just getting rid of feel like spam apps when it's 500 from the same company now there are exceptions to every rule but as you say a lot of tidying up would help and even if you lost you know 30 percent 50 percent of the apps and games i do not think that would be a bad thing yeah i came across all this myself i did a story on overkill 3 which is a new ultra freemium uh, shoot 'em up and uh, as part of searching for Overkill 3, I came across Overkill 4 in the Windows App Store. <laughs> and I thought, well, hang on a minute. Maybe surely that's newer than Overkill 3. And of course, Overkill 4 is a complete rubbish app that some third-party developers thought up to try and catch the unwary into downloading his app, presumably their ads or purchases of some kind, basically making a mockery of the whole thing. And that's exactly the sort of thing which should be outlawed. Um, Overkill 3 itself is a huge game. I mean, a massive, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of development. I think it's completely... Um, freemium overkill as it is the in-app purchases get stupid however it's very very slick a lot of money's been put into it and it doesn't deserve to be taken down by some fly-by-night labeling his thing overkill for in the app store so hopefully that will go as well absolutely it's very easy for us to kind of sit in judgment but i think on on this particular point it's one that most people would agree with and it's really a bigger point around app discovery and it's very simple if more than 50% of the people who download your app aren't getting what they expect you're basically doing something wrong yeah. Uh, before we finish, a couple of just uh, small points. Did you notice I'd uh, taken my Lumia 1020 apart? I didn't, but I'm not surprised because I thought you took all your phones apart on a regular basis, Steve. <laughs> I did a piece a while back showing how the AMOLED screens on our phones, like the 925, the 1020, etc., um, how they degrade over time um, in terms of colour. It's the blue subpixels that they, uh, they kind of degrade first. You end up with colour biases and of course you actually effectively lose resolution from because they're pentile screens um so but i had the brainwave and i thought well i, want, I really want to change the screen on my 1020 and also to change the battery because the battery had seen better days and they after two years of heavy use i think it was down to about 70 percent capacity um so but I, <laughs> normally people would go out onto the web and they'd find a source of um, nokia in this case parts and they'd buy themselves a new screen new battery and i was quite prepared to do that but i happened to notice that uh, in the corner of our all about Windows Phone Towers office, we had a an old AT&T Lumia 1020, which no one had ever used, apart from initial testing. So, of course, I had a brand new screen and effectively a brand new battery. So I basically bit the bullet, um, got my screwdrivers out, my Torx screwdrivers, my spudgers, and uh, other small implements, and I took the, both 1020s apart and did the transplant. So I've written it up on the site, and uh, I'm hoping it gives confidence to other people that this fabulous design, which we've seen on numerous phones from the initial Nokia N9, the Lumia 800 onwards. Once you learn the trick of getting into them, they're actually quite easy to take apart. And in, in the 1020s case, the well, after you just popped up a few ribbon um, connectors, the entire screen assembly just comes away and you've got the phone in two halves and you can basically do what you want with it. So these things are definitely repairable by the keen amateur, I'd say. And I would encourage people out there whose phones might like a Lumia 925 rate, which you, you were a 
fan off since day one. I bet that 95's battery has seen better days, and that would be a, another good candidate for you know, taking apart and perhaps putting in a new battery. Yeah, I, I did enjoy the fact that I've just been reading the article while Steve's been talking. There's all kinds of pictures which... Uh, for sensitive 1020 owners are not recommended you'll be slightly horrified to see it in bits all over the table um, and i did like the fact that steve's solution was to take apart one phone and put the uh, guts of it into another essentially but you're right you know the battery does run down you, you get the same effect on the screen although to a much lesser extent and certainly i've had phones that i've used very heavily for sort of about you know, a year maybe a little bit longer and have noticed the degradation you know once it gets past sort of 10 or 15 percent it becomes really noticeable because often that's a barrier over which it sort of comfortably lasts a day without you know you can start at five in the morning and finish at midnight and you're fine um but once it sort of drops a bit you sort of get oh, actually i you know i need to make sure i leave it charging to the last moment before i leave the house and that kind of thing so yes it's a, a good tip and you know, for something like the 95, it's probably worth saying that a lot of the parts are still available. Get them on eBay. Um, it does wreck your warranty. You do need a certain amount of confidence. I've taken phones apart in my time and always felt rather nervous doing it. I'm not sure I'd say want to do it. But uh, if you're feeling braver than I am, you can certainly emulate Steve. Um, and it's particularly effective for the 1020 with the yellow colours. And there's some you know, see, great, great photos if you're not of uh, too uh, a nervous disposition. And I do agree about the uh, fabulous design language. It's one of the things that's nice. Uh, some of the other more recent devices, like the 830 and the 930, are also relatively easy to take apart. And typically there are uh, guides on YouTube that make it very easy. And it's sort of... the general rule is just don't stress it too much. Make sure you do things in the right order and then make sure you have the right tools for the job. And particularly with some of the torque screws and the T5s, just make sure you don't strip things off because otherwise that can be a, a bit of a nightmare to repair. But even then, it, it is possible to get round it. Um, just be prepared. and um, uh, You do so at your own risk, I think is the key phrase, Steve. <laughs> People might ask, well, Steve, why didn't you just put your SIM in the uh, the other 1020 with the new screen, new battery? Of course, that was an AT&T one, and it's uh, hard-coded to their network and their USA frequencies, and otherwise I would, of course, done that. Um, also worth mentioning that a new battery for some of these devices, whether it's a, a nine, even an 830 or something with a replaceable battery or one with a sealed battery, new original Microsoft stroke Nokia OEM batteries tend to be about £30 or so, so they are relatively expensive. So do watch out for that. Don't and uh, But don't be tempted to go for a £5 or £6 absolutely. eBay special, which claims to be compatible because it, it will be absolute rubbish and it will perish within a couple of weeks. So if you're going to go for it, go for it properly, pay the £30. But just to warn you, they are relatively pricey. And also to note that if you do buy a an OEM battery from any source for any phone, just bear in mind of the fact that if it's for an older phone, that battery itself might have been sitting on a shelf in some warehouse for 18 months. It may not be in that great condition for itself. It would have been charged to about 60, 70% when it was first put on the shelf. But that may, that may have, you know, the charge may have run out and it may have been degrading horribly on the shelf. So just a, just a word of warning there. Yeah, for those who are of a nervous disposition or don't want to take their phone apart, I'd have to say the recommendation for me would always be to get one of the USB rechargers. They come in various sizes now, one that can fit in your wallet, one that fits in your pocket right up to something a little bit bigger that you can keep on on your desk and of course if you're on the Lumia range particularly these higher end devices uh, I think uh, 
uh, wireless charging is definitely your friend and investing in a wireless charging pad if you don't have one and have a compatible phone is probably be my recommendation over a new battery just because uh, actually the number of scenarios that most people go through where they need a top tip top battery all day every day is actually relatively few and far between if you uh, in your work are sitting at a desk for any length of time during the day wireless charging is probably going to solve most of your problems Unless, of course, you've got my Lumia 930, in which the Qi wireless charging coil circuitry has failed. Indeed, indeed. So (laughs) uh, I knew you'd find a way to to shoehorn that in, Steve. (laughs) And actually, I should say, it's not always the solution. I have um, enjoyed using the wireless wireless charger, the one that kind of doubles up as both. And actually, although it's quite expensive, that's uh, probably the thing I would recommend over and above anything else because you can actually use it as a wireless charger and then you can use it as a usb charger or use it as a, a portable wireless charger indeed and it's just it's one thing i can take it around with me all the time it sort of lives next to my bed most time but then we'll also when i'm going to be out and know i'm going to need some extra recharge just slip it into a bag it's kind of the ideal ideal thing for me but your your mileage may vary of course yeah, it's all about options, though, isn't it? Wireless Indeed. charging is handy to have. On my 830, it makes such a racket with the charging circuitry going tick, tick, tick. It drives me mad, so I don't <laughs> use it. On the 930, the say the circuitry has failed in my phone, so I don't use it. The 1020, I have to clip a special back on to use it. So I, I'm a fan of wireless charging. I, <laughs> it's best. To, it's nice to have the micro USB option as well. You just jam something in the bottom of the phone and off it goes. So uh, let's be flexible and have <laughs> options. We're out of time, guys. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening to this this podcast. We rambled a bit, but I hope we've entertained you. We'll hopefully be back next week on the podcast, but in the meantime, I'll say goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me too. We've got a few things we didn't get to, some stuff about Glance Screen. No doubt there'll be some more news out in the next seven days and we can hear about Steve's latest adventure with his phone. I don't think he'll be quite as extreme as taking the 1020 apart, but you never know. So as always, thanks for listening. Don't forget to send us any feedback that you may have and tune in next week for episode 142.